Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you on your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. All right, well today we're going to jump into week two of this series that we started last Sunday called Rescue Ready. And we're going to be in this series for a little while. And by the way, if you missed last week's message, I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to go to therescuechurch.com and watch the first installment of that message because it's really an important introduction to the series. Last week, that's all it was, by the way, was just an introduction to what we're getting ready to jump into today. And we're going to spend some time in this. In this series, here's what we're looking at. We're really coming back to the question of why do we exist as a church? What is our purpose? And church, I got to tell you, this is so vital that we have this conversation on a regular basis because here's the deal. If we don't often come back to our purposes, if we don't often intentionally come back and answer the question, why are we here? What are we supposed to do? Uh, here's what's going to happen is we will just inadvertently drift off course. We will drift off mission. And last week I even acknowledged and took ownership that in some ways we have done that as a church. And it's a natural pull away from our purposes to get into other things that really aren't our purposes. Or maybe better said, sometimes we can get very one-dimensional where we're doing one of the purposes pretty well, but maybe to the neglect of others that need some focus. And so we are answering the question in this series, what are we supposed to be doing? Now, this may, this may rock some of your world and just come as a total shock to you, but I am setting this series up against the backdrop of like the fire service, the first responder world as a metaphor. And you're like, really, John's talking about the fire department? Yes, because one, it's something I know something about. And for two, there is huge crossover between the, the world of first responders and fire and EMS to that of the church. And, and I'm going to just kind of weave that into this series. And I think it's a great metaphor. You don't have to like it. If you don't like it, that's fine. There's other great metaphors, but this one really works in my mind. So here, let me start with this. Let me just suggest, if you want to test my theory, do this. Find someone in your life other than me that you know who is a firefighter and ask them. doesn't matter if they're paid, career, if they're volunteer, it doesn't matter. Ask them this simple question. Why does your fire department exist? What is the mission of your fire department? And here's my hypothesis. It's a big word, but follow me on this. Here's what I bet would happen. I can almost guarantee that they will answer without question. They will say, our mission as a fire department, we exist to save lives and protect property. You ask the average firefighter of any fire department, what is the mission of your organization? And without missing a beat, they will tell you what their mission is. Try it and see if I'm not, see if I'm not off on that. And then here's my other thing. I would suggest ask the average Christian, or for that matter, ask the average pastor, why does your church exist? And I would propose you're likely to get a much less clear response. Well, I don't really know why we exist. 
Well, we're doing all these things over here, but, but it doesn't really apply to our purpose, to our mission. I'll use another metaphor. Imagine that, that you're sitting at home one night and you look out the window and you see this growing, glowing light. And you realize that light is coming from a few doors down across the street. One of your neighbor's homes is on fire. Like there's fire blowing out of every window. And then you come outside and you're watching all this. And then here comes the fire department and they roll up on the scene and they get off. And instead of putting water on the fire, They start gathering a group of people going, hey, can we talk to you about this upcoming election? We've got some candidates that would really do us good and keep our organization strong. We want to talk to you about our political agenda. And you're sitting here going, but but the house is on fire. Or imagine they roll up with their lights and sirens and then come in and say, hey, we've got a bake sale, everybody. We've got chicken for sale and the proceeds go to help us stay in business. And you're sitting here going, but the house is burning down. See, that's not the purpose of the fire department, to advance political agendas or to have bake sales. The purpose of the fire department is to save lives and protect property. So Rescue Church, this is interactive. I'm going to ask you a question, and this is a time where you can raise your hand and answer. What is the purpose of this church? Hint, it was the main point of last Sunday's message. What is the purpose of the Rescue Church? Lonnie. He says to save lost souls, and I'm going to say that answer passes. The main point of last week's message was simply this, and you can word it however you want, but I'm saying it like this, that the purpose of our church is to join Jesus Christ in his mission of rescue. And I want to put up on the screen this acronym that we showed last week, the values of our church. And so when I say rescue, it means so much more than just the salvation of lost souls. That's just the first part of it. But we'll just review this. The R stands for reaching lost people with the gospel. We're going to drill down into that in just a moment. The E stands for equipping saved people to follow Jesus. The S is sending the church out to serve others. The C is caring for one another within this body, this organism called the body of Christ. The you goes along with that. It's united in authentic relationships. Like that ought to be happening in the body of Christ. And then the E is exalting Christ above all else. Now, last week, you may remember, I had a whiteboard up here and we put five purposes of the church. And I just said all of that in different words, one word at a time. And I I really want you to write these down, if you would, because I want us to get this. Like in this series, we are going to get this. Okay, so... Reaching lost people with the gospel, another way of saying that is evangelism, if you want to write that down. It's where we go share our faith with people who don't know Christ. Equipping saved people to follow Jesus, another word for that is discipleship. It's where we learn how to be a follower of Jesus. We grow in our walk as as followers of Christ. Sending the church out to serve others, the, the word is ministry, where we meet needs in love and show people the love of Jesus Christ in tangible ways. It's ministry. Then the C and the U go together, caring for one another and united in authentic relationships. The word is fellowship because it is an an action word. It's something we do and it's a noun. It's something we are. We are a fellowship and we do fellowship in the body of Christ. It is one of the purposes of the church. And then finally, exalting Christ above all else, the word is worship. 
Those five words, that is the purpose of the church. I'm challenging you, read the entire New Testament, and any command you find from God's Word to us will fall into one of those five categories. That is what the church is to be about. We are to be about the mission of rescue. Now, before I start preaching, you're like, you sound kind of preachy already, John. Uh, I want to just show you this. It's in Acts chapter 2. The verses are not on the screen. They're on your handouts. The reason I didn't put the verses on the screen is because I want you to look at these values while we're reading through this little snapshot into the life of the early church. And I want to see if you can pick out all five of these purposes. So Acts chapter 2, here's the context. The church has just been born shortly after Pentecost, like Jesus has ascended into heaven and this new thing called the church is on the move. And it's very small. This little movement is very tiny yet. And yet we get this snapshot into the life of the early church and we're going to read in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says, they, what's the next word if you're following along on your notes there? They what? Devoted. Now I just got to pause and say this. As we read what I'm about to read and you ask yourself the question, why doesn't our church look more like the early church? Why doesn't the church in America today look more like the early church? I'm going to point back to this word. Because we're going to get a snapshot of people that were devoted to what we're getting ready to see instead of, well, I go on Sundays maybe, kind of, if the weather's not too bad, if the weather's not too good, if I'm not too busy, if everything, if all the stars and the planets are in proper alignment, I'll go. They were devoted to what we're getting ready to read. It says they devoted themselves to the teaching. If you will, underline the word teaching. What what of the five purposes do you think that is? Discipleship. Very good. So maybe write the word discipleship and point an arrow to that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to this next one. They just give it to you. Fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. So we've got discipleship and fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So we get this snapshot that the early church not only met for meals, but this also refers to communion. So they're like in each other's homes. They're eating together. They're breaking bread, observing the Lord's table together. They're in prayer. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were what? Together. All of the believers were together. Like somehow they valued this coming together, this gathering, because by the way, that is what the church is. It is the gathering of God's people. They were together and had everything in common. They sold their properties and possessions, underline this next phrase, to give to anyone who had need. What do you think? What five, what of the five purposes does that describe? There you go. Ministry. I'm not going to spoon feed this to you. I'm going to make you work a little bit. So ministry, like they sold their possessions so that they could share with one another and with the outsiders and meet needs. That's ministry. It says every day. Whoa, not just on Sundays. Whoa, these are radical people. Not just for one hour on Sunday morning. It says every day they continue to what? Meet together. These are some freaks, man. Like they were somehow excited about this person named Jesus and his body. And they every day met together in the temple courts. Here again, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Which of the five purposes does that describe? 
Worship, very good. Write it down and point to it. So they're praising God. They're worshiping God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then finally, look at this last sentence. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being what? Which of the five purposes does that leave us with? There we go, evangelism. Can you mumble a little louder? That's what one of my high school teachers always used to say. Can you mumble a little louder, please? Amen. So we see all five of these purposes in this little brief snapshot into the life of the early church. It is a gathering of people that love to meet for fellowship, for worship, for evangelism, for discipleship. And which one am I missing? Ministry. This is a church that is on point with the purpose for which Christ put us here. Okay, so that's just an introduction. Now we're going to start preaching, okay? I just, this week as I was reading in my own scripture reading, I I came across Acts chapter 2 and I thought, man, I'm just going to share that because it summarizes everything we talked about last week. Those five purposes are all right there in that one little passage of of scripture. So today, here's what we're going to do. Today and next week, we're going to drill down into the first R of this acronym, Reaching lost people with the gospel. And what I want to do in our time together today is share a story with you from the book of Luke that highlights the priority that Jesus Christ places on this first value, reaching lost people with the gospel. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, you might have it on your phone. If not, it'll be on the screens. It's on your handouts in front of you. There's no excuse not to have some copy of God's Word in front of you right now. So you can highlight, underline, do whatever you need to do. Luke 19. This is a story that you might have learned way back in the day if you grew up in a church Sunday school setting. You've probably heard and sung a song about Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was... Okay, two of you know it. That's cool. All right, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Here's the story. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. What was his job? It says, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Everybody say, boo! Boo, because that's what they would have done to Zacchaeus as a tax collector. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. He was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Please underline that phrase, because of the crowd. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. So watch what Zacchaeus did. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So let's pause the story for just a moment. Jesus is coming into Jericho. People have heard about this guy named Jesus. Stories have spread all throughout the region of his miraculous supernatural power, his teaching with authority. Um, and, And so Jesus is coming. It's like a celebrity has just rolled into town. And Zacchaeus, who's this short little guy who's despised by so many people. Why? Because he was a tax collector. And what that was synonymous with is corruption and and cheating people out of money, cheating his own countrymen out of money. Like the tax collectors were the scum of the earth, like hated by everybody else because they lined their pockets in in a very dishonest way off of the backs of their fellow countrymen. So Zacchaeus was hated. By everyone around him. And yet, here's what I want you to see is that there was something in his heart that was still longing for the love of God. There's something in his heart that still is drawn to this. I got to see who this Jesus is. I've heard some things. I've got to get a glimpse of Jesus. And yet, he couldn't get a glimpse of Jesus because of the crowd. Now, we get it. Physically speaking, literally, it's because he was short and they were tall and he couldn't see over them. But here's where I want to bring it alive into our world today. I would contend 
that God's plan for your life and for my life is that we would point other people to Jesus. Let me be clear what I mean by that. When the world around us who has this longing to be reconciled with God, even if they can't articulate that longing, when they see my life, God wants them to see Jesus through my marriage. When they evaluate my marriage and my family, God wants the world, the Zacchaeuses of our world, to see Jesus. When they look at how you handle your finances, God's will is that your integrity and your, the, the, the common sense way in which you don't live like the rest of the world would point people to Jesus. When they see how you raise your kids, when they see how you have peace through some of the most difficult trials and storms in your life, they see Jesus. They get an accurate glimpse of who Jesus is through your life and through my life. Here's the problem, church. Sometimes we are that crowd that actually obstructs the view of others getting a clear glimpse of Jesus. Because rather than showing them who Jesus accurately is, we show them something completely different than what we say we believe and something very different from what the Word of God says about who Jesus is. And I'm being, if, I, if I'm not being clear enough, let me just go on and say this. I think sometimes as Christians... We are deserving of the label that society puts on us that we can sometimes be the most judgmental, self-righteous, angry, critical people on the planet. Now that should not be. That's not who we truly are in Christ. Yet sometimes we act that way. Sometimes our actions obscure people from seeing who Jesus really is instead of pointing people to Jesus. So we've got this thing happening where Zacchaeus just wants a a closer look at Jesus, but he can't get it because of the crowd. So what happens? Verse 5, let's keep going. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him. So notice this, Jesus is walking along in his little entourage, and Zacchaeus is hanging out in a tree, and Jesus stopped And he looked up at him and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And look what Zacchaeus did. It says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Let me pause just long enough to point this out. First of all, notice who made, who initiated contact here, Zacchaeus or Jesus? Who was it? Jesus always goes first. Jesus always initiates rescue. If you want, you can jot down Romans 5, 8 that says, but God demonstrated his love toward us in this while we were still, what church? Sinners. Christ died for us. Long before I was ever formed in my mother's womb, Jesus Christ came to this planet on the greatest rescue mission of all time and he laid down his life willingly and freely offering up his blood and his broken body to pay a penalty on my behalf for sins that I had not yet even committed. But he knew full well I would. Jesus always initiates rescue. He is always the one to step onto the scene of chaos and carnage first and throw out the lifeline. Jesus initiated this with Zacchaeus. And by the way, even if you think, well, actually, I prayed to God first. There was a Holy Spirit inside of you convicting you and drawing you into that relationship with Christ. But check it out. Zacchaeus had a role to play in this as well because did you notice the part where it says that Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly? See, I want to be so clear about this. I believe it's possible today in a crowd this size with an online audience, welcome by the way if you're watching online, I believe it's very possible this morning that I'm speaking to someone that you still have not come to that point of receiving Jesus Christ gladly into your life. 
You might be curious. You might be looking, hanging out in a sycamore fig tree, kind of checking Jesus out at a distance. But you still, in your pride, in your arrogance, in your sinful rebellion, you still think you are capable of saving yourself and rescuing yourself. And you've not yet come to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your one and only Savior. If I can, I'm just going to go off script for a minute and share another quick story about a recent conversation I had with someone that I work with on the, the fire department. And this is a, a, what you would call a very high-achieving individual who has letters and alphabet soup behind his name and accomplishments in and, and multiple fronts. And yet recently, just because of some really poor choices, is seeing some horrible things unfold in his family. And I had the opportunity to sit down with this individual and have coffee one day as we're unpacking the aftermath of some of these bad choices. And I, I was kind of scared going in because I'm like, I know this guy. I know I, I, this is going to be a hard conversation. But this metaphor, it's going to shock you again, fire metaphor pops into my head. And I said, hey, called him by name. And I said, I, I want you to imagine like you're on the third floor of a building that's completely rolling in fire. And there's one way out. It's the window. And the fire department stretches the ladder up to that window. And they're, they're here now saying, you got to get on the ladder and come with me. This is the way to, to safety. This is the way to life. And in your pride and arrogance, you say, no, I'm good. I'm going to find my own way out. And to choose any other way than that window is to choose death. And like I could tell it was clicking. And I said, called him by name, and I said, Jesus Christ is that ladder. He is at the window, and he's the only way. See, Zacchaeus, we don't know all the details. We just know he was at a point in his life where he was ready to acknowledge Jesus. He welcomed him gladly. I might be speaking to some people here today that you're at that window, smoke's blowing out over your head, and you're still telling yourself, I'll get myself out of this. I don't need that Jesus. So you have a part to play in this. Jesus initiates the rescue, but you have to surrender and receive him into your life. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. So Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly. Look at this next verse. Now, pause. Before I even look at the next verse, let me tell you this. Up to this point, this is a great story. Jesus is coming through town. Someone's in need of rescue. Jesus notices him. He initiates. This person receives him gladly and welcomes him into his life. Up to this point, it's a great story. But now it's about to get not great. Why? Because of religious people. Watch this. Verse 7 of Luke chapter 19 says this. All the people saw this and began to praise God saying, This is awesome. This wicked tax collector who's cheated all of us out of money is about to have his life transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Is that what your Bible says? No. What did the religious people start to do? All the people began to what? mutter mutter that's a word we don't use very often i should use that word more that's just fun to say mutter all the people started to mutter what does that even mean gossip complain under their breath i can't believe jesus is hanging out with zacchaeus because check this out not only was Zacchaeus little in terms of his physical stature, I mean, that's an exaggeration. He was a wee little man, right? But check this out, church. From the religious standpoint, they saw Zacchaeus also as not just physically below them, but in every other way, below them. And so the implication of that is, as a religious person who thinks I'm better than you, I look down my nose at you and I can't believe, I understand why Jesus would save me. 
Obviously, I've got something to offer. I can't for the life of me fathom why Jesus would save you. Ew. That's what's happening here. And that's what religious people do. Religious people, and let me define religious people, because you're like, I'm religious, don't say that. You're not religious. Religious people are people who have a form of godliness, yet do not have a relationship with the Savior. They have an external form of self-righteousness and a moral code, and it is completely void of a personal faith relationship with Jesus, whereby they recognize, I am a desperate sinner in need of a Savior. And so because I'm religious and I think that my own self-worth and effort and how morally upright and pure I am makes me better than the Zacchaeuses of the world. That's exactly what's happening here. And by the way, I just want to pause the story. Let's just leave Zacchaeus and Jesus and the muttering crowd for just a minute. And I want to go back a few more chapters where we see this happening again. Because in the Zacchaeus story, Jesus does not address the muttering. But if you go back to Luke chapter 5, we won't be in here long. I just want to show you a time where the same thing happened, and yet this time Jesus addressed the murmurs in the crowd. So Luke chapter 5, another tax collector, interestingly enough, is like Jesus hung out with lost people. Jesus hung out with broken, hurting, needy people. He didn't have a lot of time for the self-righteous. So once again, verse 27, it says, Jesus went out and saw a what? Tax collector by the name of Levi. We, we know Levi today as who? Matthew, right? Jesus gave him a new name. So yeah, the Matthew who wrote the first gospel that we have in our English New Testament, yes, that Matthew. He went out and found a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Look at the invitation. Follow me, Jesus said to him. By the way, that's the same invitation he's extending to you and I today as well. Follow me. And this isn't just a, hey, come and walk where I'm going, like physically. This is an invitation to turn from your sin and make me the Lord of your life and be a follower, be my disciple. That's the invitation here. And it says, Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Again, good story, right? It gets better. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. He's celebrating. And it says a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. This is a great story. Jesus has a brand new child of God, and he's in his home with a bunch of his dirtbag friends, right? And this is a party. And then religious people get involved again. It says, but... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complain to his disciples. Listen to the snottiness in their words. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? We're holy. We're self-righteous. Who are you to hang out with? Ew, those people. And watch what Jesus said. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I should hang out with religious people like you. Nope. It says Jesus answered them. Hey, dummy, I read in between the line here, okay? He probably didn't say that, but I would have, but I'm not Jesus. It says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the who? The sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, that's the heart of our God. He didn't come to call self-righteous religious people. He did, but until you get over your self-righteousness and your own morality, you're not ready for a Savior. Jesus came for those who are lost and broken and recognize how desperately they need a Savior. It's this passage of Scripture, by the way, it's that story that is the inspiration behind a quote that we have right out front on our buildings. It's on our website. It's on our social media. And the statement, we didn't make it up. We just stole it from somebody who's dead and gone years ago. And it's been accredited to five different people, so I don't know who originally said it. 
But it comes, the heart of this statement comes out of this story. And the statement goes like this. This church is not a memorial for who? Saints. But a hospital for who? Sinners. Now, a little disclaimer, if you're watching online or if you're a Catholic friend who's joining us here, I've come to realize over the years that we've inadvertently kind of offended some of our Catholic friends because of the misunderstanding of the word saints. We're not taking a shot at old biblical characters that are in stained glass windows in church buildings. That, in the New Testament, the, the Bible calls us, the church, saints. Common, ordinary, everyday believers. So what that statement means is that this church is not a memorial to our greatness. This church does not exist for us. This church exists as an open, welcoming hospital for people in need of salvation. So you can come through our doors. It doesn't matter how bad your life is and how much you've messed up. The more you've messed up, the more you belong here. Amen? And God help whoever looks down their nose at someone who Christ brings through our doors. That is a soul for whom Jesus gave his life, and he loves that person. It doesn't matter what's going on in their life, in their marriage, with addiction, their finances, their parenting, you name it. They're a soul for whom Jesus gave his life on the cross, and he loves them dearly. And how dare you or I or any other self-righteous religious person look down our nose at someone that Christ desires to save. We, we have a little chalkboard my wife put up in the entryway of our house, and she puts these little quotes on it from time to time. And having teenagers, they come by and erase it and draw pictures they shouldn't draw on there. But the other day, I looked up as I was leaving the house, and I saw a, a statement on this little chalkboard that said, you will never look into the eyes of someone that Christ does not love. True, isn't it? This is God's heart for lost people. So let's pick up the story and finish up with Zacchaeus, verse 8. We got Zacchaeus and Jesus and then this murmuring crowd of religious people. It says here, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back how many times? Four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. In other words, he's part of the family now. And then look at this, verse 10, Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save, what? The lost, not the religious. He came to seek and save lost people. A few things I just want to draw your attention to, and then we'll wrap it up with the main point. First of all, I want you to notice that this change that took place inside of Zacchaeus, this inward change, led to outward transformation. So hear me on this. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, ultimately the, the change begins inside. It's, it's instantaneous that I cross over this line from death to life, from darkness to light, right? And it doesn't mean that instantly everything on the outside changes, but the expectation is that as Christ changes my heart and works inside of me, it flows outwardly and the fruit of that becomes external, visible evidence that Jesus lives in my life. And it happened very quickly with Zacchaeus. He said, I'm going to give back everything. I'm giving half of my possessions to the poor right now. And then Jesus, whoever I've cheated out of money, I'm not just restoring what they've made. I'm giving it back fourfold because relationship with Jesus Christ actually reconciles our relationships with other people. Amen. 
Right, two of us believe that. Okay, that's cool. When we follow Jesus Christ, it's not really possible to follow him and have a bunch of relationships in turmoil because he is in the business of reconciliation and we have been called to the ministry of reconciling people, not only to the Lord, but reconciling people with ourselves when things aren't right in relationships. So notice that inward change flows outwardly and a true encounter with Jesus Christ leads to a transformed life. Here's the big takeaway for today. If you want to write this down, for those of you that have been dying to fill in a blank on your follow-along note sheet there, here's the main thought for today. The salvation of lost souls is central to the mission of Jesus Christ. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save, to search and to rescue those that are lost. So what do we do with this? First of all, I'm just going to ask a quick question of application. I'm going to ask the question, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you have a Zacchaeus story where you finally got a glimpse of who the real Jesus is and who the real you is and recognized how desperately you needed a relationship with the Savior? Have you had a Zacchaeus moment in your life? If not, I believe today Jesus Christ is extending an invitation to you right here and right now I want to be in your house today. I want to come live with you today. But you have to open your heart and your life and receive him gladly just like Zacchaeus did. For those of us that would say, yes, Pastor John, I have a Zacchaeus story. First of all, a little side note, next Sunday we're going to be talking about this subject again and you will have the opportunity to share your Zacchaeus story because next Sunday it's not just going to be John talking for the whole time. I'm going to let some of you, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And next Sunday we're going to have some of our people say so and share your story of how you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It'll be kind of an open mic Sunday, so come ready to share. I love hearing people's stories of salvation. But for those of us that would say, yes, John, I I have a story of salvation. I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Here's my question to you. How far have you drifted off course from that value that Christ placed on lost souls? How far have you drifted off course from reaching lost people with the gospel? Let's be really clear about something, church. At the end of the day, Jesus Christ is the one who saves. I can't save your soul. You can't save your soul. Jesus is the one who saves, right? But he calls us to join him in that mission. And, my, and I know, one more disclaimer, I know that just like in the farming world, there's seasons. There's seasons of planting the seed. There's seasons of cultivating. There's seasons of harvest. And there are seasons where, to the naked human eye, it looks like nothing's happening at all. Matter of fact, it looks dead. And ministries go through those same seasons. I get that. But I am ready to see a season of harvest again in this church where we see lost people coming to know the Lord as their Savior. Anybody with me on that? Let's pray that God would use us, not only as a church on Sunday that gathers and preaches sermons, like this ought to be a great place for you to invite friends and family who don't know Christ, but guess what? The same power that I have to stand up here and preach, the same Holy Spirit resides in you to go share your faith tomorrow at school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community, wherever you're at, you have the ability and the command of Christ to reach lost people with the gospel because at the end of the day it is a high priority that jesus places in this purpose called the church evangelism reaching lost souls with the gospel amen
Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. And if, if you need to receive him as your Savior today, right now as I'm praying, you can call on his name and say, Jesus, I need that relationship with you that he's talking about. And I want to throw down one more little gauntlet. Rather than just quietly walking out of the door with that information, I want to challenge you to share that information like today. And there's a couple ways you can do that. One, you can just come and find me and say, hey, Pastor John, I received Jesus as my Savior today. If you're like, I don't want to talk to John, he's got bad breath, there's a connection card in front of you. And right there, there's a place where you can say, I invited Christ into my life today, and, and share your information with us so we can follow up, so we can celebrate with you. All right, let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. God in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to gather as your church. Lord, I once again just ask for your forgiveness, and as, as we as a church humbly confess and repent to you that so often in our busy lives it's easy to drift off course and to start failing to remember the mission at hand it's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of our culture and all of the other things that pull for our attention and lord honestly i don't think many of us intentionally set out to devalue lost people it's just that in the competing culture with everything around us so often that's one of the first things that seems to go on the chopping block and we get so caught up in ourself we take our eye off of people that you love desperately and long to see in relationship with you god i pray that this would be a church that truly values reaching lost people with the gospel that that would not just be some sentence on a slide that shows up on a screen from time to time but deep in the core of our dna we would be followers of Jesus who value seeing people who don't know Christ cross over from death to life. Lord, I pray right now if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that is in need of that relationship with Jesus, that your spirit of conviction would be upon them in such a profound, undeniable way that there's no way that for one more time they can stiff arm the lifeline you're trying to throw to them, but that instead today, like Zacchaeus, they would grab onto it and accept it gladly and come to know you as their Lord and Savior and surrender their heart and their life to you today, Jesus. God, I pray you'd use this message, I pray you'd use this series to pivot us as a church, to shift us, to get us back where we need to be, and that you would bless every effort of ours to join you in your mission of rescue. We love you, Lord Jesus. We commit ourselves to you as we go from here this day. It's in your precious and powerful name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv.